So well, it's very much appreciated. Well, we've got a lot of ground to cover, so I'm already looking at where I can cut out some of the stuff that I was going to say. So I'll forget about a recap about what we've talked about, and we'll just get straight into this. So tonight we're going to cover two major themes that I believe come out in the passage of Scripture we're going to look at, but we've got to take a bit of a step back and look at the last section of chapter 14, uh, sorry, chapter 4, because we didn't do that last week. So we'll read that for you in just a moment, and... um, Tonight we're going to cover those two themes which are going to be um, about Christian hope and the Christian community, what that should actually look like. So if you would please turn to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, we'll be reading from verse 13 and keep your Bibles open tonight because we're going to be looking at quite a few of the passages that are there. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's just pause and pray. Father God, We need you here tonight. We need you to take control of what I say. We need to have receptive hearts to what you would have us hear. So, Father, will you reveal to us the truth of your word this evening and allow it to be something, Lord, that we can take and apply to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just realized, too, I've got no numbers on my notes, so this could get interesting. I don't know where to change the slides. First thing we're going to look at is that Christian hope. And in this previous section, Paul was telling the Thessalonians to live in a way that will win the respect of the outsiders, those around them, those who weren't actually following Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And here he goes on to tell them that they aren't to grieve as the outsiders do also. I have been to more funerals than I care to mention, and the most horrendous funeral I have ever been to was for a non-Christian woman who had died at a very young age in a tragic car accident and her mother threw herself on the casket as it went into the furnace. Horrendous. Absolutely no hope. None. And Paul is saying, don't be like that. We have a hope. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 14, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And he's speaking about death here, of course. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope, like that lady. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And this is the attitude that we should have to anyone who asks questions about faith. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want to fill you in. I want to tell you everything that you need to know. And so there's no silly questions in God's kingdom, except the ones that go unasked. If you come and ask me a question, regardless of how dumb you think it is, I am not going to laugh at you. Unless it's about me, then I might laugh. But Paul is addressing one of the issues or questions that I believe Timothy has brought back to him. 
and asked him on behalf of the Thessalonian church. And Paul is, Paul's answer is one that points back to their faith. He is saying, all the answers that you require are found in Christ. And so when we think about the questions of our faith and what's going on, we can say all the answers are contained in God's word. Everything we need to know is in here. The things that we don't need to know, they're not so clear in Scripture. And we'll never be able to find them. People may speculate, but we're told, don't worry about that. Everything you need to know is contained here. All our answers are in Christ. And you know what? The question that has been asked here about death is one that continues to be asked by Christians and non-Christians alike. I don't know how many times I've been asked by people, what do you think happens after death? Where do we go? Do we go to heaven? Is there some place in between? And they're not even talking about purgatory. Christian and non-Christian alike are confronted at times with the fact that we're mere mortals. We are not going to live forever. And trust me, when you get to 50, you start to realise the reality of that. You know, when you're young, you know, when you're hanging with all your friends and you trip over and your face hits the ground or something like that, you know, your nose could be annihilated, but you jump up, yeah, I'm all right, no worries here. When you're 50, you actually lay there for about five minutes. Yeah, I'm good, I'm good, just give me some time. Things change. These bodies are not made to last. We age. And we're confronted at times with the inevitability that we're not going to be here forever. Many of us have been through that emotional shock where you've lost a close friend, a relative, or a loved one. They die unexpectedly. And we're suddenly called to adjust to a life without that person in it. And it's painful. And the crazy thing is, just when you think that you're over that pain, just when you think you've moved to a point where you're better, something happens which brings that person to mind again. It's just like a knife in your chest all over. How much more painful for us if there was no hope? How much more painful if we didn't believe that we had a destiny with Christ? And on the surface, it would appear that Paul's telling the church that they're not to grieve. But that's not the case. Grieving is natural. Don't let anyone tell you anything differently. It's part of processing that sudden loss of that friend or close person. And Paul is saying that our grief isn't like all the others. There's a difference in the way we grieve. He doesn't want the church to be ignorant about those who have died. And he also doesn't want them to grieve over them in hopelessness, thinking that they'll never see them again. And Paul ties these two matters together, ignorance and hopelessness, closely together, because he believes that they are linked. These new believers are mourning like unbelievers because they don't know what is going to happen to those who have passed. They don't know what Christ has promised. But there's a hope that they now have, for which they don't under understand. So Paul lays it out for them in 4.15. He says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And our hope as Christians is tied up in the return of Christ. That's what our faith is all about. And it's clearly stated here. But it is more than, than, than a belief or an expectation that Jesus is going to return one day. There's also a declaration and consequent belief that those who have died believing in Jesus will rise again upon his return. We'll see them. And they'll be with Jesus before those of us who are still on the earth are caught up with him as well. 
And the word here is that death is not permanent. It's the last frontier for us to go through, but it is not permanent. Don't grieve too deeply for those who are dead in Christ. We will see them again. And that is going to be an awesome time, a great time of celebration when we're reunited. And what an incredible hope that is. It's a hope the world doesn't have. But we have it because of Jesus. We know that he rose again from the dead. This is our biblical hope. And when it comes to speaking to others about death, this is what we're instructed to say. This is how we encourage each other within the Christian community. It's not a Christian platitude. It's not just one of those little cliches we say. But we say it to encourage each other. This isn't the end. You will see them again. And when I have to deal with a situation where someone in the family has died, one of the first questions I asked was, did they believe? Because I need to know. Because it's a tragedy when they didn't. Because the hope just dissipates. And the incredible thing is we can look forward to a life in eternity. Not only with our Lord and Saviour, but with all of those who have called upon him and submitted their lives to Jesus. And Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And it does bring comfort at those times. Of course, there's still grief, but it does provide some comfort. The next thing we're going to look at is the Christian community. How these guys should conduct themselves in living their lives out for Christ. And there's very little transition between Paul dealing with the death and hope and this next topic. It's like, right, I've answered that question, let's move on to the next point. And he starts talking about the Christian community. What do they do and how should they do it while they're waiting for Jesus to return? What's that all about? And the first thing Paul says is, you know what, you need to be ready. He's going to come and you need to be ready. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2 says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to know, sorry, you have no need to have anyone written, sorry, anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And down to verse 5, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And Paul here is again reflecting back on what he has previously told the church. This is what we need to do as Christian brothers and sisters. Point back to the declaration of faith that your Christian friends have made. Always point to scripture and say, this is what Jesus says. This is what you declared. This is the life you said that you were living. Stand upon those biblical truths. Jesus will strengthen you in the faith. And so Paul points back to what he's already told them. You're fully aware because Myself or Timothy or Silas has told you about this on a previous visit. Stand upon what we have said. It is the word of Christ. And it seems that Paul has to address this point because the Thessalonians thought it would be best for them to know when Jesus was returning so they could make suitable preparations for him to come. And Paul's saying no. When you think about it, it's totally understandable. I mean, we're not going to meet anyone like Jesus again, are we? Let's do something really special for him. And Paul's saying, no, it's not like that. And Paul very gently but firmly says, you don't have any need to know any more than what you already do. You don't need to know the day that Jesus is returning. In fact, no one knows that day or time. No one. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Scripture is very, very clear on that. So it isn't about knowing 
the day or the time. It's about being ready for Jesus' return. There's no announcement when a burglar is going to come to your house, is there? And so if we want our houses to be secure, we've always got to be ready for the fact that a burglar may come. So we stay alert. That's what we're called to do. We look for ways in which they may be able to break in and we make them more secure if that's what we wish to do. And it's the same when we think about Jesus returning. Paul says to them, don't sleep. Don't be caught in slumber. Don't be slack, is what he is saying. And when Paul is talking about Jesus' return, he's saying, don't worry about the day or the time. Just be ready for when he does come. And this is more about how we're living than anything else. When Jesus returns, we don't want to have any of those if only I had moments. If only I had stepped out in faith for the Lord like he called me to. If only I had gone on that mission as I believe Jesus told me to. If only I had gone to Bible college as I believe Jesus called me to. We are called to live our lives for Christ in the here and now. And if we are living for Jesus in the here and now, we don't need any special preparation. When Jesus returns, we're going to be found doing the work that he has called us to do. And who knows what that is? It might be sweeping floors in a warehouse. But if you're doing it for Jesus, he will honor you for serving him faithfully in that place upon his return. We need to be living our lives for him in the here and now. And so the thing is, don't put off committing yourselves fully to Jesus. We talk about all through this book, we've talked about the sanctification of our lives, the setting apart each and every day so that Jesus can use us for his will and purpose. And are we willing to do that? I, I had uh, a girl share a message way back when, long, long time ago. And she spoke about our lives being like a house. And when we give our life to Jesus, we open the front door and we let him in the lounge room. But all the other doors are closed. So Jesus, I, I actually don't really want you to go into that room. Definitely don't go into that room. And this, we might get to that room a little bit later on. And when we talk about fully committing our lives to Jesus, it's not just throwing open the front door. It's basically, Lord, here's the keys. You just go wherever you need to go, anytime you need to go there, and you show me anything I've got to sort out. That's what giving our lives to Jesus is all about. And let's face it. We're pretty dumb. I've been dumb in my life where I think, you know what? I'm going to give this part to Jesus, but this bit I'm not going to tell him about. Who am I kidding? He knows it all. He's my creator. He knit me together in my mother's womb. He's going to know what's behind the door. We need to open our lives to him so that we can be everything he planned for us to be. The men and women he needs to be his ambassadors on this earth. And if we don't do that, we'll never know the fullness of life he has planned for us. You know, I'm not there yet. Man, God just keeps doing so many things in my life and it blows me away. But I never thought I'd be a pastor. You know, how many pastors have we got sitting here for the future? Who knows? We might have the next great evangelist in Australia sitting here. You just need to say, Lord, here I am, use me. That next great evangelist may be a female. And they could be sitting here. It's all about making ourselves available to Christ. So don't put off committing yourselves fully to him. And Paul says here that we put on the armor of God, the breastplate of faith, love, and the helmet of salvation. It's a call to continuously be ready for that battle. When do we put on the armor of God? 
It's so funny that people see this as something that they do at some time when they're battle ready. You know, you, you think about tactical response teams. When they're working, they've got their gear with them. They're ready to go. And that's how we should be living for Jesus. It's not like, all right, we're going to do spiritual battle today. I'll dust the armor off and brush up a little bit, see if there's any rust on my sword. When we give our lives to Jesus, we put on the full armor of God. We're in the midst of the battle. We just have things a little bit different here so we don't get those spiritual confrontations that so often happen in other countries. It's going on. It's just very, very subtle. And so we don't think we need the full armor of God. We don't think that we need to be battle ready. But the thing is, we're not prepared to fight for Christ if we don't. And we need to be ready each and every day. Paul is also saying, do you belong to the day or night? This is back to that sanctification again. We make that first step where we give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. We say, I'm dead to my old self. I'm rising to new life in Christ. I'm no longer in the darkness. I'm in the light. So why do we keep stepping back into the darkness and doing the things that we know that we shouldn't do? Why have we got one foot in the world and one foot in heaven? Why do we think we can do that? Darkness and light simply do not go together. How do we think we can serve the world and serve God also? And we're going to come to that day, the sheep and the goats. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And these people are going to say, wait a minute. Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Sounds like a Christian person, doesn't it? And we are called continuously to be obedient to Christ to give our lives over to him completely. It's an ongoing thing. And if we're claiming to be a child of the light, then we should reflect that light. Our lives should be clearly ones that are set apart for Jesus and show that we're fully committed to him. As part of this, we are called to support each other. That's in this passage of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you were doing. The Thessalonian church were getting this right. The report that came back was fantastic. And Paul was like, this is great. Thank you so much, Timothy. This is awesome. And I want you to think about a time when you copped it pretty bad. Maybe it was a school or something like that. But you copped a hard time from someone because you didn't measure up to their standards or you did something that wasn't quite what they liked. You know, I was bullied many times at school. It always surprised me, the ones that bashed me up. They always came with two or three. They never came on their own. And so this was something that I was quite used to in being beat up. And I, don't, I know I'm not on my own when I say that the world can be a very hard and cruel place to live in. And when we decide to follow Jesus, when we decide to give our life to him, and when we stand upon that and say that I am going to make declarations of my faith to those encounter, things are not going to be good. Think about what we've already read in Thessalonians where we are told we are going to have persecution. Paul said to the church, you know what you're facing? It means you're doing the right thing. I told you you were going to have persecution. I told you you were going to have trouble because people do not like the light. They prefer to live in the darkness. And Paul's pre-warned them, and he's pre-warning us in the same passage of Scripture and saying, be ready, it's going to happen. And so what should we do about that? What are we called to do? We are called to support each other. We're called to have each other's back. And in 4.18, Paul tells the church to comfort one another. He writes in this section to encourage one another and build each other up. And these three expressions or outworkings of the command we have been given is the command to love each other. 
That's what it's all about. We're to have each other's back. It's one of the many responsibilities we have in being part of the family of God, in part, being part of the church. And this comforting, encouraging and building each other up is done in many ways. It can be as simple as a smile. It can be a handshake. It can be that firm hand on your shoulder or arm. It could be a hug. And there's many other expressions as well. Some of those things are at greater cost to you personally. Some of those things involve spending large chunks of time with people. And sometimes it's not even talking to them. Sometimes it is just sitting, being with them, sharing their pain, sharing their heartache and anguish, and not saying anything, just being with them. Sometimes there's also the need to listen. And trust me, sometimes you listen to the same thing many times over from that person, but that's what they need in that season, and that is what we're called to do. We're called to support our brothers and sisters in Christ. And doing those things often will bring someone back from the brink of darkness. It will restore them to faith. It will bring them into that rightful place in God's presence once more. And we're called to be those dependable people who respond when we're prompted to serve another. The next one, respect your leaders. I know this is a difficult one for people, but 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. And I know this type of teaching doesn't actually sit well with some people. This is God's word. You've got an argument? Please don't come to me. That's scripture. Take it up with God. If you spend some time on your knees before God and you still think this isn't right and you want to come and talk to me, I'm okay with that. But if you come to me and question this and you haven't prayed, I'm going to send you away. You need to speak with God about it first and foremost. And guys, we really do need to change our attitude towards our leaders. I know I'm standing before you as one of your leaders, but you know, I've never been called a heretic until I came to this church. Three times so far. I don't preach heresy. I simply preach God's word the way it is. And if you don't respect that, if you don't respect the proclamation that I'm making of God's word, we've got issues. Big issues and the amount of times that people have come to me and sunk the boot into another pastor is disgraceful absolutely disgraceful if you've got an issue with a pastor man up or woman up and go and talk to them we're human we fail we get things wrong but i tell you what your gossip is damaging the church and it's got to stop if someone comes to you and wants to say something detrimental about a brother or sister, about a leader of the church, you can put your hand up and say, you know what, I do not need to hear that. I'm not going to participate in this. If you've got an issue with that person, go and talk to them. I want nothing to do with this. And you know what's really amazing? If we all make that stand, the gossip dies really, really quick. I went to the Solomon Islands to, to do a promotional video for the South Sea Evangelical Church. 
And there was this incredible celebration. These two ladies were brought before the church. And these, the whole church was, it, it was nuts. Have you ever seen the way those guys celebrate? Like, it, it is off this planet. It is crazy. They were yelling, yahooing, singing, dancing, carrying on. And so I sidled up to one of the leaders. I said, what's the go with these two women? They said, oh, they've just been brought back into fellowship. I was like, but come again. What would they said, they gossiped. They'd been removed from fellowship because they said something against one of their leaders. And it wasn't true. And, and so the, they just said, you know what? That's not good enough. But the view was to restore them to faith. And when those guys came back, when those two ladies came back, trust me, it was an incredible party. It was awesome. And it's the same thing I keep saying to you guys. When you come forward for prayer, if there's something we've got to deal with, if it's ugly, if it's about me, praise God. Because God's laid that upon your heart to change your attitude so you can move closer to him. And if we all do that, if we are all responding to God's prompts in our lives, man, this church is going to change. We are going to see incredible things happen. People from the outside are going to start looking at us and go, you know what, this is amazing. I can't believe what's going on. What's that place, Sunnybank something, something church? Man, I want to be a part of that. I don't know what's going on, but I want to be a part of that. And isn't that the type of church you want to be a part of? then why are we doing things that just break that attitude down? We've got to change. We've got to respect our leaders. And Paul is calling for those who are the church leaders to be respected by the church. And Jesus is described as an overseer. Jesus himself is described as an overseer in 1 Peter 2.25. And then there's this passage in Acts 20.28 20, where it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's speaking to the elders of the church. In the Ephesian church. And when we speak about the eldership of SDBC, we're referring to the pastors and elders that you as a congregation are called to respect. We're in spiritual leadership here. You may not like that, but it's a God-given role that we have. And trust me, I don't know about Pastor Darrell, would you pick being a pastor if you had a choice? Thank you. Because I'm the same. This is a tough job. I've been in some incredibly difficult jobs, and this is the hardest by far. Last two to three weeks, I've been putting in 60 hours. It's nuts. There is so much going on. There are so many hurting people in this place, and there's just not enough hours in the day to deal with it. And you know what? We, we both say, and I think the other pastors will say the same thing, we wouldn't pick to be a part. I was convinced I was going to be an auctioneer until I retired. Yeah, great. But the thing is, there's something about being in the midst of God's will. And so I say, I would never have picked to be a pastor, but you know what? I wouldn't want to be anywhere else now. I'm right in the midst of God's will. And there's days I'm just on my knees and I'm sobbing. It's like, God, this is just so incredibly hard. I can't do it. He goes, you're right. What? He goes, just let me do it. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I keep forgetting that. And you get up and you do another day. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but you do another day. And that's all we're called to do. It's not easy, but we do it. And Paul's calling for proper recognition and appreciation of those who work hard among you. If we slacken off, we deserve a kick in the butt. Seriously. And I'm quite happy to take it from you if you think I'm being slack. But when we work and work hard for you, as leaders of these congregations... You should, you should respect us. We're, we're here to lead, protect, and care for you. And sometimes that means we've got to say some things that aren't so nice because we're more concerned about your spiritual eternity 
than being your friend. It's one thing God told me right from the start. I'm seriously, I'm not here to make friends. I hope I do. I really do. I hope you think I'm an all right guy. But first and foremost, I'm here to give you spiritual instruction. And if you step outside the guidelines that God has given you, you'll get to know that Charlie's blunt. You really will. And I make no apology for that. And tell you what, if you see something in me that you think needs changing, be blunt with me. It's the best way I hear it. Slap me up the side of the head with a smelly trout. Trust me, it works. You never forget it. So we have this role of caring, nurturing and admonishing the church. We always forget that admonishing. The pastors should be caring and loving. Forget the admonishing bit. But it's instructing each and every one on how they should live, how they draw closer to God. As Paul desire, Paul's desire that the church appreciate that leaders have a difficult job and every effort should be made to live in peace with each other. If you guys lived in peace with each other, we would have. We'd, we'd go do coffee every day. It'd be good. The other thing we're called to do is to spur each other on. I love this. You know, there's some of you who've come to the prayer and praise nights that we have for the young adults. By the way, it's a prayer and praise night for the young adults. I don't care if a few who aren't young adults sneak into that. We have a great time on there. And part of it is spurring each other on. Let's listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And we tell these incredible stories about what God is doing in our lives. And as we tell more and more of those stories about what God does in our lives, sometimes they're incredible things, absolute miracles. Sometimes they're very small things, but it encourages me. It spurs me on. And you guys have got to get used to the fact when I put a Facebook post up and say, someone tell me a good news story, it's because I'm having a really, 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 really bad day. And I just want to hear what God is doing in your life. I want to hear that he's active and moving in people's lives. And that spurs me on. That gives me, well, there's today. Awesome. We can face another day tomorrow because God is moving in their lives. And I can praise God for that. Amen. We want more of that. We want to be sharing good news of Christ. We want to spur each other on. And, you know, we, we had these guys, Tim, bad boy. But Tim, he came and he said, oh, yeah, can you just pray for me about what was the week you did with Jesus, the Jesus week? Yeah? Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, we're just going to go out and tell people about Jesus. <laughs> Smelly trout. Hey, man. You know, seriously, how awesome is that? And then he starts talking about these people that he encountered and how he got to talk about Jesus. And you know what? People went, you know, that doesn't sound that hard. And it's not. And if we have someone like Tim, someone like Tim, talking to people about Jesus, surely I can do it too, right? seriously but there was Tim there was Thurindu were you involved in that as well maybe, maybe no Tom does it other times but you know these guys were talking about Jesus Thurindu was on a bus pulled his earbuds out and started talking to someone about Jesus Thurindu had his shirt on actually and had to cover it up because he had to go and speak to his lecturer and the lecturer saw it and he went oh yeah okay talked, to, talked about Jesus because of the shirt he had on man that's exciting stuff these are conversations they wouldn't normally have and it spurred me on. I don't know about you. I get excited about stuff like that. I think it's pretty awesome. I've got to get going, haven't I? Sorry. We need to warn those who are idle. These are the people who aren't working. Back in those days, these are the people who said, you know what, Jesus is coming back. I'm not going to work anymore. We're just going to sit back and wait. But you know what? They ran out of food, so they had to go to those who had more money in the church and say, look, can you support us because we've got no money? And yeah, it wasn't nice. So Paul says, you know what? You need to work. Yeah, the auctioneer came out, sorry. <laughs> you need to work. 
And it's the same for us. Don't allow people to be idle. Let's encourage them. Let's get spur them on to get into something. Paul says to these guys, stop it. Get back to work. Stop being so lazy. We're called to admonish those who are not being as productive or as conscientious as they need to be. And it also speaks about those who are undisciplined, irresponsible and disorderly. People who make excuses all the time. It tells us to help the weak. This is about supporting and supplying the needs to or even defending those who can't defend themselves because they're weak. It's about stepping into the gap for those people and being that strength for them in the faith and supporting them until they can stand on their own. I, I, love, I love wallflowers. Do you know what a wallflower is when we're speaking about people? Yeah, I, I just I can't wait till I'm over here so I've got a life group and I can see more wallflowers. It's just awesome. And, and I, had, I had a life group of young adults. We had about um, 20 people coming to that life group. And, and I had a few wallflowers amongst that. And it was just so awesome to see these people. You know, you slowly draw them out. You'd ask them a question that was a no-brainer, so they'd answer. And you slowly ask them more and more difficult questions. And you saw the light come on. And you know these people that were wallflowers? I'm going to introduce it to them one day. These are awesome girls now. They're just brilliant. They're serving God in so many ways. They've been on mission trips overseas and everything like that. These are people who, if we didn't have that intimacy, if we didn't encourage them, if we didn't nurture the weak, they would still be wallflowers. I'm going to introduce you to another guy. The guy's called Tom Sun. He's actually been to church here a couple of times. Tom Sun was the biggest wallflower. Man, you wouldn't believe it. And uh, we've looked back on Facebook posts where it's like, hey, Tom, are you going to come to church? Oh, you know Tom, don't you? Yeah, Tom, are you going to come to church? I don't think so. This is only like four or five years ago. And this guy now, like, if, you, if, if he said to you, are you coming to church? And you said no, this guy's going to, boom, he's going to hit you so hard. It's like, what do you mean you're not coming to church? How are you going to get fed if you don't come to church? Are you going to life group instead? I mean, what are you doing, man? You've got to read the word. Have you read your word this week? What did God say to you? What passage of scripture are you reading? And this is a guy who wouldn't say boo. It's just so exciting to lead people to that point where they want to tell others about Jesus and they get passionate about it. And again, isn't that the type of church we want? That's what I want. You all think I'm crazy, but trust me, it's awesome when you get there. And I just love it. We're called to encourage the faint-hearted. These are the people who worry, who discourage, who are fearful. They think they're inadequate. They don't think they can serve God. And we're called to encourage them. We're called to lift them up. We need to spend time with them and let them see that God can use them wherever they are, whatever they're doing. We're called to be patient. No, let's skip that one. Um, <laughs> I'm like Pastor Daryl, you know, those morons, um, those drivers that pull in front of you on the road like the person on the way over today doing 40Ks in an 80K zone. Be patient. But seriously, first and foremost, we've got to be patient with each other. You know, we're all on a journey. Some of us are well ahead of others. That doesn't mean they're any better. It just means that they're in a different place along that road. And so we need to be patient with them. And if they don't understand some of the basic concepts that we're trying to share with them, just do it again. What have you lost? Nothing. If anything, you get more fluent in telling the things that you need to tell. So be patient with these people. I've really got to hurry up, hey, sorry. No payback, no evil, that type of thing. That's pretty straightforward, hey. Do not repay evil for evil. You know that. Two wrongs don't make a right. Okay, final point. Worship, Worship God. This is Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 22. We'll skip through these pretty quickly. Okay, so just looking at this passage of Scripture. Rejoice always. What this isn't. This isn't putting that fake smile on your face and everything's fine. 
That's not what it is. This is about in the deepest, darkest moment, knowing that God is still in control. This is about reflecting back on him through the tears, through the sadness, through the heartache and saying, even though this position right now is really dark and I can't really handle it, Jesus has not lost control. It is that surety of knowing that we are going to have a life with him. It's about standing on the promises that he gives us and it's got nothing to do with being fake. In fact, I encourage you to cry. I've cried with people. And it's awesome, because sometimes crying with people is all you've got. You, you can't give them the advice they need. And you just sit with them and you cry with them. And then you get to that point where you know Jesus is still in control. And it, it's just incredible. It really is incredible. Pray without ceasing. It's a difficult thing. It's one of those things where... In the celebrations, you go to Christ, you, you thank him, you pray to him. In the bad times, you go to Christ, you thank him, you pray to him. When you are about to open your mouth, you pray. I do anyway. Lord, please guard my mouth. Sometimes, when I was younger, man, the mouth was running before the brain was in gear. Whew, wasn't good. Lord, guard my mouth. Make everything that I say be honourable to you and let it be edifying and uplifting. Pray without ceasing. When you're driving your car, awesome time to pray. I'm starting to bless those people who pull in front of me. I mean, their accelerator might be stuck. Hey, a brick or something under it. Lord, let them get their car fixed, please. Give thanks in all circumstances. How difficult is that? And this is, again, we have to refer back to our faith. If we're told to give thanks in all circumstances, our answers are in Scripture. And in giving thanks, we're saying, well, Jesus is still in control. He didn't go to sleep. This didn't slip by him. It's not a huge problem. In the end, I'm going to be with the Lord. What can this world do to me? Don't quench the Spirit. This is important. Do not quench the Spirit and think about the Holy Spirit as being a fire. If you want the fire to continue, you've got to feed it. Hey, it's going to go out if it doesn't have some source to burn. And so the opposite of that too is throwing stuff on the fire that's going to actually put it out. And so when we talk about quenching the Spirit, that's the things that we do that do not honour God first and foremost. They're the things that we do that don't help Holy Spirit to minister to us. So these are the times when we don't read Scripture. You know, people say to me, I'm not getting anything out of the Word. I say, read it anyway. I'm going to check to make sure you're reading a chapter a day. If you don't get anything out of it, that's cool. It still feeds your spirit. And you will come around in the end. And it's amazing how many people have said, you know what, I stuck to that. It was hard work, but praise God I did. We need to do things that feed the Spirit. So that's reading the Word, it's praying, it's gathering together with the saints, it's spurring each other on, it's talking about the good news of God and the great things that He's doing in our life. It's listening and obeying to the promptings of Holy Spirit. How many times do you think you can actually just have a prompting of Holy Spirit and go, you know what, I'm not going to do that? And every time Holy Spirit prompts you, I'm not going to do that. Do you think He's going to keep prompting you in the same way? You know, our God is a perfect gentleman. And that's why in the midst of our free will, if we decide to say, you know what? I, I actually don't want you in this. He just steps back and says, okay. Every now and then he'll, are you sure? Okay. He's never going to force himself upon us. And if you keep quenching Holy Spirit, you're on very, very dangerous ground. Do not despise prophecies. Prophecies are the proclamation of God's word. It's what I'm doing tonight. 
If you're offended with something I've said, question whether it's the truth, examine it in scripture. If it's not the truth, smelly trout time for me and then report me to Pastor Darrell as well. But if it is the truth, suck it up, princess, and just do what it says. Do not despise the word that is proclaimed from God and abstain from all forms of evil. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. I'll pray. We'll get the worship team up here. Sorry, I had to skip through that. But um, yeah, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your presence with us. Thank you for what is contained in that word. As